I've always known that I think that I wanted to get into business. I remember sitting in the class in um, uni and saying, I know exactly what I'm going to do. This is a perfect career for me. I am a good communicator. I love people. This is perfect. I am going to be a publicist. To be very honest, I did ask my parents for money and yeah. my mum and dad turned around and said, no. The bigger you get, the risk becomes so much scarier because you've got other people now that you need to worry about. Before, if I had a failed, like who cares? Oh, 24-year-old Grace failed. Like I would have just had a, had a bit of a, a break down three months and then <laughs> got back up but now different if you want to be the best in your game you have to have a laser focus and nothing will stop you it's like do I really want this because you have times where it's like I could lose everything and I would still want it when I look at my team and see them thriving when I have had Tamara who came in as an intern who is now thriving as an events manager and publicist it just makes me feel I like get goosebumps speaking about it because I just feel so proud that I have had like an impact on their lives. I want everyone who goes in and out of my business to be known as being the best in their game and they can go on and do whatever they want. That's what I look back and go, fuck, we, we've done a good job. Just quickly before we get started, guys, if you've been enjoying the podcast, can I please ask that you consider leaving a five-star review and subscribing on whatever platform you've been listening. It really helps the podcast grow. Another fun one to end a Friday. I don't know. It's obviously not Friday when everyone's listening, but it's Friday for me now. Grace Garrick, welcome yes. to the podcast. Thank um, you so much for having me. We have an absolute boss in the house, so kicks me in the shit again, <laughs> but it's all good. <laughs> so I'm going to have to stop myself from doing no. that. So just for context, obviously people can't see under the table. We've been sitting across from each other for two minutes. I've been kicked in the shin twice now, so... We might keep track and, and see how many times. But for those who don't know, Grace, founder of Movement Agency, um, an absolutely amazing PR PR firm. I've got a lot of friends who, who work with you and they all say really good things. So um, one of the leading publicists in Australia with Movement Agency, you've kind of made like a secondary agency off off the off the back of that. Um, no boundaries, which I really want to talk to you about a little bit later on in the chat because it's all about like you're giving small businesses that maybe don't have the budget for, you know, big PR retainers access and education for how they can use PR to, to, um, you know, grow their businesses in the, in the early days, which I think is really important because like, yeah, these early brands, I do a lot of consulting with like e-com brands and startups and at the beginning, like it can be difficult to, to, to crack in. So I love what you've done there. And obviously, um, your disco stick, uh, yes. your e-com brand, I know it's not your main thing. I know you're, you're mainly in the PR space, but I'm obviously really fascinated about product-based businesses. So I definitely want to pick your brain about what you've kind of learned going through that journey and how different it is. But where we'll start, obviously your person, a lot on your plate, always moving as, yeah. as, as they say. <laughs> um, but why PR for you? What was it? Obviously I know you, I feel like, yeah, you seem perfect for, for PR. You're such a people person, so outgoing. But why do you think you went into PR? When did you make that decision? So it's, I've always known, I think, that I wanted to get into business and I started off doing a Bachelor of Commerce thinking I was going to work into finance and now having known me, you know that that is totally (laughs) the wrong career fit. Um, And I was sitting in a comms 101 class, one of the four sort of um, comms-based classes that we had to do, and I was actually watching The Heels of All Things, which sounds so cringe and I know now looking back I actually give myself the ick saying this, that I was, I remember messaging my mum, I remember sitting in the class in um, uni and saying I know exactly what I'm going to do 
it, this is the perfect career for me. I am a good communicator. I love people. This is perfect. I am going to be a publicist because they were publicists on the hills. Yep. And so I got an internship at one of the leading PR firms actually right around the corner from this studio. Really? Driving down here, I must say, it brought back so many memories and I was like, this is the perfect sort of foray into doing this podcast. Um, and, yeah, started there, loved it. Uh, I really then understood that there are so many different facets to PR and on the hills, they only ever worked in fashion, which I now realize fashion is not necessarily for me. Um, but I do a number of other sort of PR based um, sort of approaches, which we can get into later. But that's sort of how I came um, about sort of looking to um, sort of have a little bit of interest into PR and then got an internship, loved it. So that's sort of how it started. I've got multiple questions, but why, what's, what's the thing with fashion? Why isn't that the niche for you, the industry for you? Oh. This sounds so bad, but look, fashion are notorious for not paying their bills. Oh, in, really? In <laughs> look, I mean, it depends what type of fashion. I think that fashion's really difficult uh, in Australia because it costs so much to sort of produce uh, fashion here. Yep. So I think that PR is sort of the last thing that you um, look to engage with once you've got everything else set up and ready to roll. So unless you're really, really killing it, you look to engage PR, but then by the time you're killing it, you don't necessarily even need PR. So yeah. that's sort of why. Now, as well, something I found interesting looking into you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have just guessed, is that you kind of grew up like in the country, yeah. your country gal. <laughs> was when you were growing up there, did you always like have the dream to like, I want to move like closer to the city and kind of be around the hustle and bustle? Yeah, I definitely think so. So even when we were in year 10 and you had to do your work placement, everyone was going to like the local real estate agents and looking for like their <laughs> best sort of work experience role. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go into Double Bay and do a um, modeling agency receptionist sort of role. And my mom literally is my biggest backer, was like, yes, that's what you're going to do. You're going to be the best receptionist you could possibly be. And then we would plan my outfits for the entire work <laughs> experience thing. Not that anyone would take any notice of me. And then she stayed with me for that whole week and I did it. And what's funny, and this is just the universal lining, is that now my office uh, where we are at, at Movement is in Double Bay, but it's right behind the place where I did my first work experience, which is just to me, wow. it, that is like full circle moment because I am a country girl. And before that, when I did my internship, I didn't have the luxury of sort of being in Sydney and sort of just going to an internship. I actually drove two hours, work from eight to usually eight, and then I would drive two hours home. So I was four hours in the car and I did that three times a week and then had a full-time job and did uni. I just was so hungry. So, yeah. Where do you feel like all that motivation ca came from? I definitely think from my parents, I definitely think uh, they're both um, entrepreneurs, both work very, very hard and our family is so competitive. My <laughs> brother's uh, an athlete for his like yeah. career and our family are so <laughs> competitive. So I feel like there's just this underlying thing where if I said to my mum, I want to be an artist, she would say, you're going to be the best artist yes. you can be and then would research everything on how I'd get there. Yep. So I think that from the outset, my parents have instilled that with me, within me and I am very competitive. <laughs> so I feel that without question, you just become hungry by nature. So so at what point did you realize that um, you were going to move on and like, was it a big decision when like, when you moved to the city, your parents still out, out where you grew up or? Yeah, definitely. So not a big decision. I feel like it was imminent. Yeah. I just was waiting Ready until I, it. yeah, waiting until I could go. So finished my degree, was working full time. To be really honest, I did the bare minimum for my uni degree. I would rock up at tests and just hope for the best <laughs> and somehow managed to get myself uh, through my commerce degree and was working full time, rolled straight into there, into the, the PR agency. 
worked there for about five and a half to six years. And uh, yeah, that's, I moved out during that time. So do you, do you think growing up where you did coming, like, has that benefited you or shaped you in any way and your career, do you think? Without question, I think it is my biggest asset. I think not coming from a very, not that to say that my background wasn't privileged. It was great in terms of I had the the support from my family, but I have not been handed anything. Went to just a regular school, had regular friends, you know, nothing sort of, you know, wasn't given networking or any sort of beneficiary opportunities. Um, but without question, because I have some friends who are in the highest of high sort of careers and also really sort of medium-based careers, but then also it allowed me this ability to sort of engage with everyone on a different level. I feel like I can walk into any room no matter where I am and get along with someone. And I definitely feel that that is from being from the country. It's also, I have no qualms in saying hello to someone. I feel like in Sydney, it's the biggest eye-opening experience is that you walk down the street and no one will be like, Hey, how are you? Mm. And so where I'm from, I know every single thing about every single one in the, the town. So you just know to be a good person. I feel you develop this really strong community-based ethos yep. and that's what I've, I've got. Yeah. It, it's, it's clear you've, you've, you've got those strengths. And, and before we move on to the actual movement journey and building that, I want to ask from, from your life, maybe from your childhood, who do you think has been the most influential person on you? I definitely feel that my mum, without question, uh, she is the biggest hustler and the biggest supportive um, sort of figure in my life. But then also my brother. Um, I don't think he's my best friend and I don't think I'd be anywhere without him. We both push each other to the absolute extremes to be the best that we can. And I also feel like I want to be, I'm the eldest, so I want to be a really good role model for him and always like look to support him. Um, But definitely my mum. Yeah. 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 Now- Obviously, he's killing it as well. It's a very <laughs> successful family. So clearly the your parents have got some good DNA there. But I want to know, okay, you've you've did that internship, you you got the job in the city, you you worked in there for a while. At what point do you feel like, okay, I'm ready to take the leap from being an employee and I'm gonna make the jump to starting my own team? Because it's such a fucking crazy <sighs> moment. And look at me swear. We already, we made yeah, this agreement off. We're going to try to reduce the swear. I know. Um, well, it's been not even 10 minutes and I'm already cracking them. Um, what was the moment for you in your, in your mind where you're like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm ready to back myself. I'm going to make that leap. Do you know, I ask myself this all the time because now in the position that I'm in, I think of what on earth was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. Like I was 24 and I worked for someone who was so like the biggest in their game. They were amazing. And I take a lot away with that. Um, learnt so much. And I think to myself, how did I have the balls to step out of my own? Yes. And like this country girl, I think that I was working and the, the role that I did have, I had this amazing opportunity to see so many different industries and so many different clients. And I really got to put sort of um, my foot in every single door. I really got a nice understanding because we work so fast and such long hours. I knew exactly what I loved, what I didn't love from the outset within that sort of first year. So I worked there, as I said before, for like five and a half to six years. Uh, and then by that time I got to a position where I felt that there was no longer any further growth for me. I would always have clients coming to me and saying, you know, we love, we love the strategy. We love what you're doing, but you know, press office, which is traditional media just isn't cutting it for us. And I felt like we were doing sort of the same approach all the time. And I agreed with them. Like press office at that time was not just cutting it because you had Instagram just sort of came into fruition. 
and there were so many other outlets that were coming into the market. And so I looked at it and I thought, you know what, there's so much more that I could do, but the agency I was at, we weren't doing that. So there was no more growth there for me. And so I thought when I left, uh, made the hard decision to leave, I thought uh, I was going to go overseas and looked overseas and there wasn't really anything that sort of strung out to me because I, I looked at what they were doing in the UK and in the US. They were focusing on community building, activations-led PR um, that was also utilising partnerships with talent and utilising that to formulate the story for PR. And so that's what I wanted to do. Um, but then I went out one night in my um, notice period and ran into a client, Lillian Kalouf, who would later be my first client. And she said, I need a freelance. Can you please come on board and help me? And I said, yeah, that amazing. I need money because yeah. I have no money to pay my rent. So absolutely. And did her, her PR for, I think it was like four weeks and did an amazing event and thought, you know what, I can do this myself. I'm, I'm going to do this. And so I made that decision. And then three days later, I had set up a website set up everything and I just went gun ho and I felt like to be very honest I did ask my parents for money and yeah. my mum and dad turned around and said no we've both <laughs> started our business with n- like no financial backing you need to back yourself into a corner and feel like what it comes out to come swinging and really know that you've got nothing left until you've given it everything and if we give you that money you're just going to come back for more or you're going to feel like you've got a security blanket and so I did that. And so I had no option but to succeed. And so that's where it sort of landed with me at Movement. So I feel like that was really good parenting. Yeah. Because <laughs> like you talk about it as well and everyone who knows you knows like how much you do and, and the long hours you work and, and that you are a, a, a quote unquote hustler, as they oh. say. Um, but you, I don't know, like, do you, do you, looking at you, obviously I don't know you that well. You don't, I don't, to me, you don't seem like the type of person that would burn out. Obviously I've only met you a few times, but What's that navigating that workload like for you? You seem like a high energy person, but do you have those moments where it's like, you know, Friday and you've had events all week and you're like, oh shit, alarm going off. How do you get yourself like through handling all that workload and all that pressure that comes with being so go, go, go in arguably one of the most like kind of chaotic um, industries that you could be in? I think that I definitely do suffer from burnout and I have previously. I think also... I am essentially someone's front-facing aspect of their business. So I always have to be like, always on, always moving. There's definitely, I'm not like, ah, I love doing this and emailing at my desk. That certainly doesn't happen. (laughs) I'm like, shut up. (laughs) Um, I definitely have those times. And like when we're in work, we are in full work mode. Like it is very much, I love to be high energy, but this is the fun aspect of the, the role. Uh, most of the time it's like putting out fires, delegating, directing across what we should be doing. There's issues with clients. But with in regards to sort of burnout, I work, as you know, very long hours, but as I'm sure you do and everyone does, everyone's busy. But the the issue with PR is that we are a service-based business and so we are retained by clients. So if a client essentially calls me on the weekend, they're paying for my serviceable hours and so they essentially are paying for my time. So, yes, I have to be on call if there's an issue. That means for anything, if I go on holidays and I take annual leave, I have to be still able to be contactable by clients. And so that definitely has its downfall because you have that aspect of burnout. I have had that in the first sort of two years of my business, um, totally self-funded, couldn't really afford staff, um, didn't really have any help for a very long time. And I struggled. I found it really, really hard. I put on loads of weight and that was purely down to the fact of I wasn't exercising. I had poor choices in diets. If I wanted to have some downtime, I'd go home and have like two red wines a night. 
which is totally un, like unhealthy, I, I feel, and it's not how I normally used to conduct myself. It's more so that was my way of looking, oh, okay, great, I need to calm down. Was it hard for you to switch off at the end of those days at times? Without question. I'd always, you know what it's like having a business. You never, ever switch off. And I think that going from a role where I was working very full-on hours, I then went into a business where I was working full-on hours, but it's not the hours that bothers you with burnout, as you would know. It's actually the mental strain that I find really difficult. Uh, I find it difficult to switch off, but also that pressure of if you don't deliver, you can't afford to to pay your bills. You you're going to fail. And I think being so young in business, I don't think that I necessarily understood. Um, I didn't didn't understand that, and so I got into meditation. I got into back into my exercising, and that completely changed everything for me. Uh, and then I learned boundaries. Like now I make it really clear that no, I do not need to reply to a client at midnight. Like that is just like, that's not acceptable. And it's, that's also, I'm not going to deliver the best possible answer for you, which then will later on cause issues for you as a business. So at, at what point did you finally make that change? And what was the trigger for you to realize, Hey, there's got to be a better way to do this. All right, guys, just quickly, I've got some news. I've spent close to the past 18 months building the ultimate program that takes you through the complete process. And I mean the complete process of launching and scaling your very own e-commerce brand from zero all the way up to a million dollars plus per year. And now with this program, what you're going to get access to is 15 modules with over 100 training videos and 23 hours of in-depth content, taking you through everything you need to know to build a successful e-com brand. And this is the important part. This isn't just stuff that you can look up on YouTube. This is stuff I've taken from real lessons and experiences building Happy Skin Co. from zero all the way up to an eight figure per year brand. You're going to get access to loads of custom tools, templates and calculators that I've used to build and run Happy Skin Co. There's going to be one-on-one mentoring with myself and other expert coaches. And there's also weekly group Q&A calls with myself to make sure you're feeling completely supported throughout the entire process. And now what I've learned from consulting to everyone from people starting their very first e-commerce brand all the way up to brands already doing seven figures plus per year is that there's a process and a framework to follow if you want to be successful with e-com. Now, if this is something you're interested in, hit the link below and go to join.viralbrandbuilder.com. All the information's there and you can book a call directly with me. Otherwise, send me a DM and we can chat there. Anyway, let's get back to the pod. I think it was several breakdowns in my car. (laughs) To be honest, I just, I, I got to a point where I wasn't seeing friends. I wasn't seeing family. I am very social. I just felt so isolated and lonely having started a business so young and being so exhausted. And I just, you know, when you're not feeling your best, I wasn't, I obviously said to you, I put on weight. I wasn't just, I wasn't feeling my best. I wasn't performing my best. And I'm so competitive. I knew from the outside, I was like, I need to change something. I'd have like go to meetings and be so stressed that I would have anxiety. Um, And that's when I was like, okay, I need to actually get on top of this. This is, could have the, ability to sort of spiral out of control. And so, yeah, I just looked at ways to do that. My mom is very spiritual, very Zen, and she is actually the one who handed me a book called The Universe Has Your Back um, by Gabby Bernstein. And yeah, I just really like, it was like one of those moments you have in life where you read a book and you're like, this is literally speaking into my soul. (laughs) Perfect time, perfect way that they phrase it. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Because yeah. I've, I've heard you, 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 you've mentioned that before that you're a, quite a spiritual person. So you got it from your mother. In what ways do you think she had set that example for you? You mentioned she was like, what, what practices was she into? What sort of mindset perspective did she kind of pass on to you in that sense? I definitely think so. Uh, the, the first time was we actually went to India when I was in year 12 or cool. no, no, younger. I would have been in year 10. 
And I was actually not very good at school. I just, I had the ability to, but I was just like, didn't care much for it. And we went to India and I remember sitting on this sounds so weird that I'm recollecting this and I can't believe this came up into my mind, but we're sitting on a, a camel in like this desert and we were doing a little camel walk through a rose garden and this kid on the back of the camel, some makeshift sort of camel ride, wasn't something lavish. And he said, he's like, do you go to school? And I was like, yeah, I, I go to school. And he's like, oh, I wish I could, I really wish I could go to school. And I remember in that moment, I was like, you need to pull your finger out of your ass and fucking work hard. There are people in this world that wish they could be in your position and you're just pissing it all away. Pull it together. And ever since then, I just feel like I just set the tone to really hustle. And that sort of got me into that sort of spiritual journey yeah. Um, of, yeah. But that's crazy. Like everyone does that. Anyone in Australia, and I know there are people that are way less privileged than than you and I, but everyone in Australia relatively compared to, you know, probably 85% of the world, we, we have a very great standard of living, but how that piece of like truly being grateful for it is so difficult. Like even nowadays we'll both still have stress and sometimes like I'll be stressing out a little bit, you know, I have to do this and I have to do that. And you're always managing multiple things in your brain. Then I've been really trying to recently stop and think that, because we all know when you're in business in life, there's never going to be this long, long period without any problems. You're always going to have problems. You're always going to have stress. You've got to be grateful for what your problems are. And like realizing that five years ago, three years ago, even I would have dreamed to be doing what I'm doing right now. It's a really crazy shift, but like sometimes it can take a moment like that, that you had to, you know, make you realize, oh shit, maybe I'm being a little bit ungrateful is maybe being a little bit harsh. I was. But yeah. 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 I was a hundred percent ungrateful. Even now I feel because I am very driven and once I get something in my mind, I develop a fixation and I have a laser focus. Once I even achieve a milestone, I never stop and go, well done. I just keep focusing. And it's, I had this moment where someone asked me the other day, um, when, when are you ever going to be happy with a level of success? And I sat back and thought to myself, I actually don't know. Because I, I never, ever celebrate anything. I just go, okay, what, what can we do next? And it's just like this and it's constantly this like churn. And I think that I, I realised when she said that, that I should be so grateful for where I am now. I get to live my dream job. I am so passionate about what I do. I have the best team around me. I love going to work. Like there's not a day that I go, oh, you know, even if there is a, like a bit of a, an issue, it's like swallow the frog in the morning, the rest of the day is amazing. Like. Yeah. It's just I definitely feel very grateful for I am now. Yeah. Luckily, but you do have those moments. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But you, you just mentioned your team and and before you were saying the first year or two, it was just you, you were hustling all by yourself, no team. What was the turning point that flicked the switch and enabled you to be able to hire a team? Obviously, there needed to be some amount of growth. You can't just decide, hey, I don't want to do it all myself. I'm gonna hire someone <laughs> and not kind of the money. What what allowed you to make that change? I think from the outset from the start when I was taking, talking about burnout, I was very scared of, not scared of failing, but I felt like I couldn't fail. It was like this fear. And I also felt like I had a little bit of imposter syndrome. So I, as I was going on that little bit of a spiritual journey, not necessarily a spiritual journey, it was more so meditating, focusing on my health, et cetera. I pushed past those barriers and I had saved and saved and saved and was so scared to spend any cent in the business. Uh, but then I had this moment where I was like, if I want to grow this business, I need to take the same level of risk that I took when I started the business, which was when I started at 24, I remember thinking, 
I've got no, I've got nothing to lose. I have no mortgage, no kids, no partner. Who cares if I fail? I'll just go and live with mum and dad. Like it's not that bad. And so I remember thinking, I don't want to be a business that plateaus. I set out to make a change to do activations led PR to really add community and a benefit for our clients. And so I remember thinking, I need to hire a staff member. It doesn't matter give them a probation period for three months. And then if you can't afford to pay it, we'll find a way. So (laughs) I always just felt like we would find a way. So that was the biggest sort of risk that I did take was hiring that first staff member. Um, We'd started off doing subcontractor um, sort of employees. And the first staff member I had is a girl that I went to uni with and still works with us today. Uh, Her name's Natalie Crocker and she is literally the yin to my yang. She is phenomenal. And then after that, we got an intern in who is Tamara, who's still with us as well. Um, she then graduated to graduate. Oh, man, like I'm running a school. <laughs> <laughs> she then uh, turned into a, a casual staff member. She's now a uh, full-time staff member and she has also been with us still to this day. She's actually in Europe at the moment, lucky thing. Uh, but, yeah, everyone. And then it's just sort of like um, workshop that way. I then hired her, one of her best friends, Lani. Then we had a, about a pause for probably a year and I just really tried to build up um, the cash that I had in the bank because, as you would know, when you hire staff and you are bootstrapping it, uh, it's really difficult because all this money goes out and you're still waiting for them to sort of add as an asset and become a value-adding asset whereby they're actually generating income for the business. And so it was really difficult for a little bit um, for me to get my head around that because I am a publicist by trade, not a businesswoman, um, slowly becoming into that. But then we waited a year and then we did a mass hire because we had uh, at the end of last year, it would have been around September, we had so many clients knocking on our door uh, and I just, we could not facilitate it. So we went through this huge period of growth, which was actually the hardest period in my business to navigate. I found that harder than anything I've ever done. And then now we're in a sweet spot, I feel. Have you got anyone that's like a senior employee, that's kind of someone that you can go to when you are feeling a little bit stressed to take some of that pressure off your shoulders? Yeah, absolutely. I do. Uh, I don't do it internally. I used to, and that's something that I've learned not to do. I feel that you want your team to want to love to come to work in order to get the optimum level of performance out of them. And so even with seniors who I've had and worked with for a long time, I don't want to burden them with the issues. Otherwise they can go and start their own business. Like they don't want to hear about the issues and the ongoing, you know, sort of running order of the business. That's my responsibility uh, as the director. So I have some really good friends around me who are extremely successful and people that I absolutely admire uh, who are older than me. So whenever I have an issue, I call them. I'm like, what do I, like, what? Oh my God. And half the time I don't even hear them. I'm just like screaming on the end of the phone or my, my poor, like I've now got a boyfriend who would have thought, honestly, (laughs) thought I was undateable for a while there. And I often ask him for advice because he's very calm. And as you just said before, work at a high pace. I work a million miles an hour, as you can probably tell, I don't shut up. And so that's another thing with staffing. I speak so quickly. They're like, hang on, what did you say? <laughs> like, Between the two of us, the words per minute off this podcast is going to be off the charts. I know. Sorry. People, you might want to slow this down to 0.75. I usually speed them up a little bit, but maybe this is one to, to slow it down. But yeah, definitely ask lots of people for advice. Uh, one of them is Mariah Rota, who owns an amazing uh, two businesses, actually. One is a hair salon in Double Bay, Cole Hair. I'm going to shout her out because she's a legend. And she also then owns the distribution company for hair extensions. So she's 
sort of double dips there. Sure. Sorry, I've discussed all your secrets, but <laughs> uh, yeah. But she has such, such valuable advice because she's almost like two years ahead of me in business. So she's had all the teething issues I'm about to go into and she offers yeah. me lots of really amazing advice. I feel like you don't get a real picture of business until you've passed the first two years. Oh, my God. I Yes, but I also feel like after, we're four and a half years now and I just feel like, oh, things are running as they probably should have probably four years ago. Like we've actually got processes in place. We've actually got X, Y, and Z. For a while there it was just like sprinting until <laughs> yeah. you like died for a bit, pause, then go again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the first like year or two, like essentially it's just all about sales. And it doesn't mean like sales is in – the traditional sense of sales, but that's you, you're hustling. You, everything you need to do is just to, you know, people talk about processes and best practices and blah, 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 all this stuff, but all that, none of that stuff matters if you don't have a, any money coming in the business to pay the bills, right? A hundred percent. And we, we didn't have any process from the outset. So the, the period of growth back to your question before, that was the issue. I didn't have employ like employment contracts. I had nothing like nothing ironed out. My parents have never done this level of business before. I couldn't lean on them. You know, yeah. they'd be like, it's fine, Grace. And they're, they're <laughs> from the country. Everyone's meant to treat everyone nicely. It's just so, a handshake deal. Yeah, you're, you're hired. Uh, but no, it was, yeah, that was the hardest part, the processes piece. Um, but yeah, it's every, everything's, you know what it's like. Everything's difficult, but it's also in agency as a PR agency, it takes years to build up your credibility. So in order for a brand to trust me to do their PR, despite me doing it for another agency for years and years and years, that agency has built up brand credibility. Whereas I'm a 24 year old, I have no brand credibility besides working across certain aspects of a, a brand previously. So now when I started my agency, it took years for me to build up that sort of rapport with clients, showcase that we I actually knew what I was doing. And so that's why I feel like it took so much longer when you compare it to like a product-based business. It took me a lot longer to showcase that I could actually build up what I was uh, sort of doing previously. Well, what do you think makes movement different to other um, other PR agencies? I know you, one one term or phrase I've heard you heard you explain um, made a lot of sense to me, but how you fuse like activations with more of the traditional like coverage and, and PR, but talk to me about what do you think you guys do differently and, and how did you build that? So there was a reason someone would come work with you. Yeah, absolutely. So we always sell in whenever I do my business spiel, uh, we do, we're activations led PR. So basically what that means is we utilize partnerships with key opinion leaders, but in a different sense or activations, be it guerrilla style stunts to formulate that key storytelling message to then pitch that into traditional PR. So Primarily what PR usually used to do, and everyone still continues to do this, which baffles me, is that they will rely purely on press office, which is traditional media. They'll go out with a press release. This is who we're going to hear, blah, blah, blah. And you can only ever do that if you've got a new product launching some sort of um, new aspect or you're doing some sort of new partnership or charitable-based sort of um, media push. And so you're constantly relying on the brand to come up with this new NPD all the time. And as you know, being an e-commerce uh, business owner, that costs a lot of money and it is very hard to do and that can take years. Sure. And so I looked at that and also PR doesn't need to be always on and that's the biggest thing that I find is that you don't need to have a PR agency on for 12 months because sometimes it actually disservices the brand and also the agency because we're burning our relationships. Yeah. And so that's how we differentiate ourselves. So basically rather than relying on new product, new product, new product, we could do new product. Okay, great. What can we do outside of the new product introduction to media that will really get people talking and build community? Because I'm a big believer in 
traditional press office only builds that sort of credibility, creates a bit of awareness, um, which is amazing for a brand or product. But how do we create community? How do we utilize social media in a really smart way? How do we utilize the general sort of population who are the people buying your product in a really smart way and utilize that to communicate to media. And so it creates that another talking point, but also creates this really fun sort of um, word of mouth piece that essentially has people talking about your brand versus the product that you're offering. And that is how you build brand longevity in an e-commerce sort of space is having people go, oh, I've heard of Happy Skin Co, but oh, is that what they do? Oh, I've just heard of their brand. And so the brand sort of speaks larger than itself. The biggest example of that is that Logan Paul's Prime. He has done, and his his business partner, it's outgrown them. And that's the smartest thing they could have ever done because they've built a brand. And then you're like, oh, is that an actual drink? Oh, I didn't, I didn't realise because the brand is so slick. And so that's what we sort of do. They're cra- Like they're absolute genius marketers. You see how they had, um, they were with a bunch of their fans in like somewhere in Europe and they, at the end of, they taught everyone, um, empty all your bottles of prime and then throw, like throw all your bottles at us. Like it's some angry thing. And the media picked it up all around the world. So they come out a week later, they're like, ha, ah, gotcha. And it was everywhere. Everyone was trying to hate on them. Like, oh, your own fans turned on you, but it was just a fucking, a really smart, you know, activation, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. Strat like guerrilla marketing strategy. Yeah. And I know you've had some really cool ideas and things that you've done for brands in the past. What, what stands out to you? as a really fun or successful activation that you've done? Oh, we've had so many. The I love, one of my favourite is the the parking ticket activation because it was the cheapest we did. Mm-hmm. I think it was like $800. We generate, and look, the, the thing is activations, it's not about the idea. It can be the, the silliest idea or the, the most obvious idea, but it's how you amplify that. And that's where a PR agency comes into play because we know how to amplify stuff. So mm-hmm. Uh, that, and then we also did an inflat- inflatable breast in the Yarra River with no permission. <laughs> Touch wood, they don't hear this and I get into trouble. But stuff it wasn't like- us. Yeah. <laughs> but stuff like that. So basically what we do, we have this sort of recipe for success. So if we do an activation pending what that is and pending what the objective is, for the parking ticket, uh, the whole aim was to get as much brand awareness as possible. And so we came out, we didn't come up with the idea, ripped it off someone in the UK and just made it our own. Um, it was for a client, Chargo Charlie's, and we offered them $10 vouchers. So people would go there, they'd have this emotive response being like, I've only parked here for 10 minutes. <laughs> They've pulled it off and like, oh, I get a yeah. $10 voucher. And so what we did was we stitched up and had a paparazzi down there shooting people's reactions that then got live streamed to Daily Mail. We let them know what was happening, what was going on. We then had other um, people posting like word of mouth social groups like Bondi Local Loop um, being like, oh, my God, I just got this parking ticket, blah, blah, blah. A lot of the time we'd actually send it to our friends and then get them to post it. Of course, to yeah, yeah. And then we also then paid certain like talent on TikTok uh, who didn't have the biggest followings, but we knew we could create the message, create the narrative that would create that virality, pretending that they received the parking ticket. So that's sort of how that all happens. Um, and we do it with a lot of our clients, uh, but it just depends. It depends on that narrative. With the breast, we had this, it was a censorship issue. Our client Nala was really struggling. There was a small business and a lot of their imagery, you could see the nipple really faintly through some of their um, bras. And so they were getting banned, shadow Good banned. Ads and stuff. Exactly. And so they had this inability to really push and promote uh, their brand on social. So we thought, what's a really brilliant way to really showcase that and how can we not ban this? And we thought 
an inflatable breast down the arrow if it was the answer and away you go. The, so, way, the way I hear yeah. you speak about the strategy behind each of these ideas and like, because like you said, the idea is one thing, but it's then how do you then get that idea in front of everyone's faces and get people to pay attention? That's the real genius of it. And I've never, not that I listen to tons of PR podcasts, but I've never he- heard someone talk about PR the way you have. So obviously oh, it's probably you. why you're, you've been so successful and had so much success with these campaigns. But on the flip side, obviously that's the fun side of PR, right? You get to do all these fun events and, you know, have fun, get all the media down, do all this crazy stuff. But obviously another part of like PR is like crisis management. Now we thought obviously naming anyone's names uh, or anything like that. What's like, what's a crisis that you've had to work through that you felt really tested you as a, as a publicist? Oh, there is so many. (laughs) The thing is with what we do, we don't say, for example, if there's a really, really big crisis and it's completely in like sort of a a court um, sort of based arrangement, usually the legal team that they have, they have their very own corporate comms team because it's really difficult for a PR to go in and workshop you don't what know the approach. Exactly the, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the legislation yeah. really <laughs> clearly. I seem to break the rules all the time, but um, that's really difficult to navigate. But at the moment, something that is um, and something that's been very different and different to navigate for us as um, a brand is when clients will go onto social media or they do campaigns and they don't look at the wider community and they don't include people of all shapes and sizes. And that's been a really difficult thing to navigate because a lot of the time when you are dealing with certain brands is they've done the same thing that they've done for 100 years. And so it's how do we come in and really guide them to make sure that they are appeasing the wider audience and are doing it so that they can appeal to them, resonate and become relatable. And so that's been the hardest thing to navigate is trying to showcase to clients that the same approach you did 100 years ago just doesn't cut it. But the hardest thing is there's no... A lot of brands now are just purely looking for a return on investment. And so with PR and when you are guiding them down that approach, they don't understand the difference between, oh, we're not getting sales, but we're building brand. And yep. that's the hardest thing to navigate because we don't necessarily do crisis PR. That is with the legal sort of teams. So that's the hardest thing that we're facing and we have issues all the time with it. Certain clients may um, say certain things that are totally out of school and by no means of their own, it's just something that's often they have overlooked because they've done the same thing for a hundred years. So that's been something that's been really difficult. Have us. you had like a brand or, or someone that you work with be victim of like a, a, a cancel campaign? Definitely. Crazy. Uh, happens, it happens quite regularly. Uh-huh. Not with um, necessarily brands, but it's, it's not the brands doing it and it's not the brands pushing the message out. What we have faced and something we always face is that working with talent that are seen as brand spokespeople that then will go rogue and post something that is totally contradictory to what the brand is. That's something that we face with on a daily basis. And so we now sort of have this rule where we try not to work with one key opinion leader. So one talent as a whole, we like to diversify that range. You can, you can put all of the measures in place and shit still hits the fan. It's just like, you just have to work so fast. And that's the thing about PR is you always have to be watching. So before it even blows up, my job is to go, holy shit, this post is going, something's not right. This, this needs to be taken down immediately. We need to stop working with her before it has the ability to transcend into that media landscape. Because if it does, If a brand is looking to do anything um, with other brands or they're looking to sell or do anything, if they have negative media, it really tarnishes their value. So that's my job to ensure that that doesn't happen. What do you think is the hardest part about being like a publicist and and doing the work you do? That it's really difficult to stay on top of everything, that you can always do more. 
So I often will be subscribed. We get media monitors. So uh, if we're working on a certain brand, we'll have all their competitors listed as our media monitors. And so if I see another brand and they're doing better than my client, it's like why why did they get this this article and you didn't get that? Mm. And it's that constant, I need to be better, I need to be better, we need to do more, we need to do more. That's the hardest thing. Nothing is ever good enough because you there's always more media out there. There's always another story. There's always more talent. There's always more money to be made. For sure. And so that's the hardest thing. It comes down to that thing of what does success look like for you and, you know, for a client, are we going to be happy with this, this? We can only get 30 hits a month or whatever it needs to be. And that's where it sort of starts and starts. We'll aim to do more, but this is what success looks like. What, what, like you mentioned that nowadays, like more and more brands are becoming ROI focused, which again, is just, if you look at the the wider economic landscape of the world makes sense, but has the role of PR or PR agencies evolved since you've been in, in the game almost 10 years? Definitely. I think without question, the second hardest thing, actually the most hardest thing prior to what I just discussed before was that ROI based piece. So about two years ago when, or even longer, two to five years ago when e-com was absolutely blowing up, everyone looked at digital advertising and you had all these amazing marketing agencies. There was guys driving around in Ferraris. It was like the the thing you've never seen before. (laughs) PR gets pushed to the side and it's now, we're all doing digital marketing. Why would I invest X, Y, and Z a month with you when I can get this and I can guarantee I'm going to get sales? And so that was the biggest, like the hardest thing for PR because prior to that, we had sort of the complete autonomy of that market. There were so many publications. Uh, there's since all shut down, most of them. The, the sort of like we had shop to you drop. There were so many amazing sort of glossy-based monthly publications that we would rely on for our clicks for clients. And so once digital marketing really had its huge sort of surgence or emergence. It was, it was hard for PR to showcase our worth and clients would often like sort of question out, why am I paying you? And I do get it being a business owner. I do understand. And it's really hard to showcase that PR builds brand and it's building your brand, building a brand legacy and digital marketing can generate those instant sales But now, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God, people are starting to realise because digital marketing is very much not as powerful as what it used to be because it is so so saturated. And so they're now having to sort of come back into the, the fold with us. But PR is so powerful because it has this ability to generate a credible story and a credible message. Anyone can put their money into ad spend. Uh, and P- not everyone can have a really smart strategy for building community, building brand. And so now I feel like it's come back, it's done a little 360, thank Christ. Um, but that was the hardest thing. And it's still a hard thing to tackle with because brands will often say to us, I don't understand where my value is. You haven't got me this many article hits this month. And the reality is we cannot guarantee that we are going to get that because we rely on that news cycle to formulate our sort of worth. Well, on that. How has their role changed, like the more traditional like press? How has their role changed over the last five to five years or so? Immensely. I think without question, it is the most shaken up industry. From when I first started in PR, there were so many titles. And to now you speak with journalists and journalists work so incredibly hard. They are working on like 29 pages a week, plus then doing social and on the same pay. And they're working across multiple titles. Uh, that's just, that's the reality of it now because they're not getting as much ad dollars as they used to, because now the ad dollars are going to brands, to influencers, to all these other people who can guarantee those views in an instantaneous sort of moment. And they can see what that call to action was. Whereas say, for example, back in the day, you would have spent 10 grand on a paid ad in who magazine, 
Um, I'm not sure if they're the right figures, but now you could do that with a, an influencer who can probably generate X amount of views, can showcase how many call to actions have gone straight to the website, who's actually converted, etc. So that's what they're competing with now. And so that's the really hard landscape that they're facing. And so there's a lot of journalists who have unfortunately then lost their jobs or gone into sort of freelance-based roles or gone in-house to brand um, just because there's not as much money pumping through those outlets anymore, uh, which is a real shame. So that's changed a lot. But then also what's changed a lot is when we're reaching out to those journalists, because they're working on so many titles, they don't have the time to really come back to us and formulate a really strong sort of story. They're, they're working so tire, tirelessly to generate an amazing story with minimal time. And so it's really hard as a publicist, you have to have the best relationships to really generate PR. Otherwise, you just there's no chance you're going to get it. So do you think for brands that are getting placement uh, in the traditional press, do you think their roles changed more to that building trust and credibility piece or can they still drive some conversion off the back of their exposure off those articles? I definitely think that you should always look at it as from trust and credibility. There's conversions, yes. I think that conversions... It's all part of a 360-degree approach. You have that. They see you there. You post that on your social. You can utilize that to then run an ad. So you use it as like this sort of 360 yep. push. And then you have that ad that has been written by news.com that's showcasing that credibility. And they're going, hang on a second. There's actually a title talking about this brand. I'm going to buy into it versus you talking about your own brand. You have someone else backing you. That is seen as a credible title. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think that... And that's important as well, because like with econ brands, like you said, it's so much more saturated. Everyone's advertising now. It's like what you need to do more to separate yourself from the competition. And that's why things like that are still really important. But again, the scale and the, and the, and the amount of need from compared to, you know, 10 years ago before all these amazing digital marketing platforms are available, it just isn't the same anymore. But you, you mentioned something earlier that I, I found really refreshing and, and, um, yeah, like honest from someone who, who runs a PR agency saying yeah. that PR doesn't need to be for every brand and always on thing, right? When when is the time um, in there, you know, as they start to grow and mature that brands should start to look to pull the trigger on PR in your opinion? I definitely think from the outset, if you've got uh, some sort of MPD or something launching, uh, definitely engage with the PR. I would say two months before, don't try and rush it, even three months if you can. Showcase them what you're doing. Tender, tender to as many PR agencies that you think are, are really valuable. Make them work for it. I think that it's a great thing and I shouldn't be saying this as a PR business owner, <laughs> but I get it. Like I am a business owner as well. And it also creates, I love competition because it, it creates this opportunity for me to go, no, this is a cookie cutter proposal that we're pitching. Let's do something next level and amazing. Uh, and so I think that's amazing. But for a brand, I would tender to as many as you, you can. I would then do the meetings with them. Um, but then I also think look for an agency that does more than just pitch out that NPD like I was talking about before. That's where PR, I personally believe, pending what the product or brand is, falls over. That's where I feel like it's outdated because – so what? You get a few hits. You want something that generates this long-lasting brand moment where people go, that is a really smart brand. They launched this new product. It's got press. Then they've done this. It's generated and incorporated their general consumer. They've incorporated media. They've then done key opinion leader-based placement. And then they've done an activation that showcases the brand as a whole and really connects its consumer and it all ties in. That's what you want. You don't want something just to go out to media. I feel like that is very outdated and that's where you're not going to get the results and that's when a brand will go, 
to, oh, PR doesn't work for me. I didn't get the call to action, blah, blah, blah. No wonder it doesn't work for you because you just got PR hits. You weren't looking for the other stuff that a PR agency can offer. Yeah, yeah. And like what would you do? Like do you have any, I'm sure you've got a million ideas in your head, but if, if, if you're working with a client, any client in the world and budget wasn't an issue, have you got these like dream ideas that you'd love to do? Like can you share one with us? Like what's something crazy and wild that you just feel like would just be so memorable that it would create a moment that that the brand can use for, for many years to oh, come? Oh, there's so much I would do. Like I can't even, that's so hard <laughs> for me to answer. But there's a number one person that I always look to and I wish I could be them. This is like, you know, when you always want to look at competition overseas or wherever and aspire to be like yeah. someone and there's a brand called Bureau Batak. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. They're based in Paris and they are so next level, everything they do. I'm like, I look to them, they create these amazing runways for these huge luxury brands. And I look to them and go, this is what we're going to do for a press kit. And they just inspire me. They are next level. Uh, and they do a lot. Also that Jack and Moose at the moment is doing so much cool activation work. That's the stuff that creates noise. That's what a brand should be doing. They're a legacy brand doing really super commercial stuff, but it gets everyone talking. You or nodded your heads. Of course. Yeah. That's doing PR. My my next question when you took it to there anyway, was like, who's, who's a couple of brands that are really aspirational to you that people can look at and and study what they do and realize, Oh shit, that's really next level and start, you know, taking inspiration from these brands and implementing it to uh, into what they're doing today. Is there any Australian brands? I know you just gave a couple that you feel like is really at the top of their game or doing some cool stuff with branding or PR. Bureau Patak with that question, they're an agency and to sell a service agency, which they have done recently is huge. Like for, to sell a service-based business, if I was to sell my PR agency, it's very difficult to do if I'm always that front facing. They've created this amazing niche and this visionary approach, which is so different to what everyone else in the market is doing that they were able to then sell it to a huge sort of um, business. So that's someone that I would look to and go, I wish that was me. They're just next level. Yeah. Now, obviously not you because you're awesome. Um, But as Australia as a whole, do you feel like is, you know, there's Australia, we've got an amazing country. Some things we're pretty progressive and forward thinking on other things. We're a little bit behind. Do you feel like PR as a whole, we're a little bit old school and traditional and behind like the innovative leaders in the space? I definitely do. And I, and by that, I have no disrespect to anyone in the industry. I think that the industry as a whole is incredible. We have some seriously in talent, like talented brands and publicists in Australia, but I feel that the approach is very much, it is outdated. It's that press office, press office, press office. And yes, press office is amazing, but there's so many other facets if they just sort of reshape and rework the dumb basic and make it next level. There's so much work to be done and everyone can do it because everyone who works in PR has the ability to be really creative and they're all super intelligent. But I do feel like the approach is very outdated. What, what gave you the idea? Where did the whole no boundaries um, come from? Where, why are you so passionate about launching that service to the market? Where'd that come from? I definitely think that. And maybe explain to, to people listening, sorry to cut you off, what No Boundaries is as well, better than I did at this no, point. Yeah. So No Boundaries is Australia's first pay-as-you-go PR platform. So basically what it does is just productize our PR services. And the reason why I came up with that idea was when I started my business, we had a year, then COVID hit, and we would have so many really small businesses reach out and say, here's my business. I would really love to engage your PR services. You know, can we look to work with you? But the reality is, you can't because the retainers are so high and also that's just the cost of my time and our People services. As well, right? Exactly. And and you also don't need you don't need an always on retained based PR structure. That's just you don't need it. 
um, I also won't be able to service that like in a really great way. So then you'll be just like, yeah. you will hate our service. Um, so I looked at ways and I thought, how can we offer them our service, but not in an always on approach that will sort of streamline and automate that entire process. And so that's how it started. So basically it works like an e-commerce platform. You go on and it's like, if you were going to buy a dress, you say, Hey, I want a, a, a maxi dress in, in pink. <laughs> um, but you can go on and say, Hey, I want a press release and you can buy the press press release, add to cart. And we get an email straight away. We tee up a call and that's sort of how it happens. The same thing with a features-based article. Uh, you can go on, purchase it. Uh, we could generate the press and then that's how it happens. And then we also do it with key opinion leaders, TikTok concepts, everything. So looking to build that out more, it's, um, yeah, a how work in progress. How long ago did you launch that? A About a year or so ago, yeah. yeah. So uh, the, the reason why, when we went through that huge period of growth, that movement agency, I paused on no boundaries because we were just, we had so many clients lined up and we just had to, we were in, it was actually the scariest time because it wasn't a money scary. It was like a, holy shit, I could work like for 65 days straight and we and still, still wouldn't. Be behind, yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. So now we're back, all systems go. So Yeah. Um, with, with, with no boundaries as well, what I feel like you guys are doing really well um, is the education piece. And, and because obviously you realize your market is small businesses who might be their first business. They might've, you know, started an e-com thing and realized, fuck, I don't know what to do with PR. But that education piece, how important is that? I know you've got some e-books e e for multiple things um, that people should or could familiarize themselves to help pitch better, to develop strategies, to build relationships. Where does that come from? And, and how important do you think it is to, for brand owners out there to educate themselves on, hey, maybe they're not ready for a PR agency or retainer-based thing yet, but how can they educate themselves? And is it important to be able to at least do some things on your own if you don't have the budget to, you know, work with a big agency from day, day one? It's so important. I think that there's so much as a small business that you can do yourself. I taught myself to to start my own website. Like it's, there's, you can, there's so much that you can do. And I think you can save yourselves tens of thousands of dollars if you just have a look at and go, I can do this myself. But even if you're not in a position to do that yourself, still learn so that when you do engage an agency, you know what they're talking about. You know that if they say we're not getting the results, you know to ask the right questions to guide them in the right direction to help them create those results. Because a PR agency is only ever as good as the information that the client also does provide. And so if you are unsure and you're going into it really sort of unknown, sight unseen, if you learn the backing, learn the terminology, learn exactly what a PR agency does, you have a better confidence and a better ability to guide that agency into that to the right direction. And so you can get better results because otherwise you'll end up going, you could go into a corporate comms agency, burn 200 grand and then go, oh, PR wasn't for me. You know, it's not the right fit. And it's, you know, it could have taken you two hours to do a little bit of education um, through an ebook or through any sort of other online um, platform and go, oh, this is the exact agency I need. These are the questions I need. I don't need an always on. I don't need press office, key opinion leader, blah, blah, blah. I just need um, key opinion leader placement for a moment. And so if you can educate yourself on that, you can save yourself firstly so much money and so much time. And then also, you know exactly what you're getting in regards to your service. So if you are spending four or five grand a month, you know what you're getting for those four or five, that four or five grand, you have your KPIs in place, you know what those metrics are and you know what you're going to get in return for that versus going in blind, paying the money and going, I haven't got my results. Yeah. The onus is also on that sort of client or the brand to do that, that legwork. And that's why we started that so that they do have a better understanding of what we're talking about. And sometimes when we do onboard certain clients at Movement, 
if they are sort of that large scale client, we will give them a complete onboarding through that no boundary platform to say, this is what we do on a daily basis. If you have any questions, let us know. And so it actually does guide them, educate clients. And so they come in, they go, oh, thank you so much for guiding me through this process. I actually didn't understand what the difference of PR and advertising was, which you're not expected to know that. Well, let me ask you this, because as I mentioned um, right at the beginning, you, you also founded, you co-founded your, your, your own product-based business, Disco Stick, which is really, it's a really fun brand. Um, just looking at all of the content and the style, um, it makes a lot of sense, a lot of fun. But let's just say you didn't have all your big agencies, but you still know what you know now. And you're, you're, you're going to build out a PR strategy for a complete startup, relatively limited budget. Where would you start? What are some of the things that these early stages brands can do before they have the budget to go pay for someone else to do it? Without question, I think the the proof is in that, firstly, the product, obviously, without question. But in order to create that social proof, you need to utilize, utilize your friends and family. Get them to do testimonials, reviews, user-generated content. That is the most powerful thing you can do at the moment. I would have normally probably a year ago said, send out to as many people as you can. And whilst I still think that is powerful, I also think that you burn through so much product, so much stock, and it does get lost in the social media landscape <laughs> at the moment because it's everyone's doing that. So how can you be different really creating that social proof, really honing in on that user-generated based content? I think without question that is the primary focus. Building a community and a tone of voice on your social media platform on TikTok Make sure you are commenting on every single person that is in your core target category. That's more important than sending out product, I think. You're building up that tone of voice, that personality, a brand that people want to buy into because nowadays just the product and the brand do not cut it. They want to feel like they belong somewhere and they're buying into something. It's the reason why you buy skims over your bonds. You buy into a brand that you feel like you've got this cool affinity to. And so I feel like creating that cool factor through tone of voice and personality is a simple. And it's free, right? Free. Like you can do, you could sit there all day and comment on, on, on people like in your target market, in that community that you want to be in. You can do that for free, but so many people don't do it because like, ah, oh, one comment at a time, like, is it really worth it? But that's the difference I've found with like people that are successful at the start and bootstrap with, with little to no budget is they do the, the, the boring things and they do them over and over again. And eventually it builds momentum and traction. And then everyone turns around, oh my God, how'd you grow this business? That's crazy. Yeah, a success story overnight. Yeah, yeah an overnight <laughs> success story. Um, but oh, talking about your brand, what made you decide that on top of everything else you're doing, you want to create a product and launch it? It was COVID. It was with my best friend Adele. We were sitting at home drinking Aperol spritzes, feeling sorry for ourselves. <laughs> and we were on TikTok and we were trying to get this product that everyone was using. Uh, it was like a, a wax stick in, um, in like a glue stick format. We couldn't get it anywhere. And so we were wearing our hair slick back all the time because it was as I said, COVID, and we couldn't get it anywhere. So we're like, why don't we, you know, why don't we start our own business as you do over a few drinks? They never come to fruition. The amount of ideas I've had over a drink, uh, it's scary. But this one actually came to fruition. Adele did all of the product end. That's how it came to to its sort of um, sales base point was had I have done that? No, I didn't have the time. Adele put her um, knowledge in this sort of overseas based product development piece and she killed it. Um, and the product is bright orange, like this lamp here, because of an Aperol spritz. Oh, and we were listening, to, we were like, what should we call it? What should we call it? It needs to be rogue and tongue in cheek, kind yeah. of like us. And that's how Disco Stick sort of started. I thought it'd be a lot easier than what it was, to be very honest with you. Uh, having worked in brands and working on agency side, I thought, oh, this is going to be a walk in the park. I'll be able to sell it easily. 
Uh, it's a lot harder than what you think. I thought, oh, I've got a multi-million dollar business sitting in the palm of my hand. And yes, it's doing well now, but it has been a lot of groundwork and obviously it's been on the back burner, so it's been even sort of harder. Um, but e-com's hard at the moment, I will say that. Um, as I said before, advertising, everyone's doing it, everyone's seeding out, everyone's it's like what is the thing that someone's not doing? And that's really hard at the moment. I, I don't have the answer for it. We're still yeah. trying to workshop that. But what I have learned is, and I've learned this from clients as well, one of the benefits of being in PR, you do lots of new business and you understand what's emerging and what those trends are coming in. Uh, bricks and mortar is super, super powerful at the moment, sure. I truly believe. But having that dual approach yeah. and that nice synergy of e-com, but then you've also got that bricks and mortar wholesale piece because that's going to always facilitate that MPD. You've got that constant forecast-based budget and then the e-com is just like icing on the cake is how I'm looking at it. Yeah, at the no, it's, it's a really good way. And, and, and to your point as well, your e-com has got I'm more difficult over the last few years, which is why like I found so many more people coming to me and asking for help because like still, if you want to start an e-com brand or you think, oh, it's too hard, it's hard. I, sh- I didn't do it five years ago, so I'm not going to do it at all. It's like, well, it's still one of the lowest barriers of entry unless you're starting a service-based business to, to start a business. Do you still want to do it? Do you still have a dream to, you know, build something for yourself? And that's why I found that so many more people have been reaching out for help because like you said, there's so many different things you can be spending your money on. It's so competitive. How do you, you know, cut through and get the results that other people aren't? What do you think was the main thing, the main challenge that maybe wasn't as easy as you thought? Was it just the, was it the ads that did you have someone running your ads and it didn't convert as well? Or what piece do you feel like was a little bit surprising and maybe didn't, you know, go to plan? It was definitely the ads. And because I'm on client side, I hear client stats and we're pitching out client sales stats. And I was like, we are so shit compared to everyone else. <laughs> At the start, I was like, I thought we were going to be a multi-million dollar business overnight. Like, yeah, what do you mean? Yeah. And so that was the hardest thing. And so now it's doing very, very well, which is brilliant. Um, and But that was the hardest thing, I think, ads. I thought I'll turn ads on and we'll wake up and away we go. Let's yeah. start booking the holiday. But it certainly wasn't, wasn't the uh, um, reality. Unfortunately, the day of just launching a business and you know, setting up a Facebook ad accounts and just running Facebook ads, nothing else, not building brand, not working with influencers. Those days are long gone. So it does take more, (laughs) but like this, like we live in a digital age. Things are so much easier in, in certain ways. It just means like we can complain about, you know, where we are today, but the best thing that we can do is take advantage of it and just do everything we can in our power. But we're talking about, I asked you just then what kind of surprised you, was there anything going way back to when you started movement that surprised you from when you went out on your own and, and, started the agency by yourself? Yes. I think the biggest surprise was that clients don't pay invoices on time. <laughs> and that was the hardest thing I, I, I grappled with. My parents were always like, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, because they started small businesses. And I yeah. thought, okay, brilliant. Yep, I know. Always save money for tax, cash flow. Yep, it's in the back of my mind. But that was a really, really hard thing for me. And that's what inhibited my ability to grow quickly. Um, and that's why I stalled it and waited till I have way more money so I could actually pay there if – anything really went bad, I could facilitate and pay their salary if we didn't make money for a year. So definitely cash flow. I would have times and I had two clients actually. I was way too trusting in the start. I think it was my hardest thing was asking for money in exchange for my services. I really grappled with that and I think that leaned on that sort of imposter syndrome that I discussed with you before. I felt like, oh, Oh my, oh my God, like maybe I, maybe I didn't do enough work this month. Maybe I shouldn't. And I, I was in the accounts myself. So I was thinking maybe I shouldn't ask for the money or I'll just let them go on a little bit longer. One of the clients ended up um, owing me $30,000. I think it was 27,800. 
Um, and they actually never paid me. They went into involuntary uh, closure. And so I never saw that money. And so whilst that was a really, like, really expensive learning curve at the time for someone who was 24 and I had <laughs> no money, uh, it was a, a big learning curve, but it was also something where I was like, no, you are valuable and your time is valuable. It's really hard, I think, as a service to put your value on your time and different with a product, the product is there. You can see it in a physical sense, whereas this is like essentially an intangible asset. So it's like I found it difficult to bill out for my time. And so that's why I now know, no, I need to make sure I bill. And we are very, very hard with our invoices. You have to pay if you're a week or late, my accountant will chase you. And thank God I've got an accountant now and I don't try and do it myself. <laughs> yeah, well, as someone now that has been, you know, doing a lot more of like the mentoring, so I'm also – I've got plenty of experience selling products and now a decent amount of experience selling my time. I think I would argue your time is more valuable for sure. Without question. I definitely agree. And I also think the biggest value add I could add onto that as well is if you are starting a business, have the right people who have the right skill set to manage certain aspects you have no idea about. I don't know why I try to do my accounting myself. You also need someone to forecast that cash flow plan if you are looking to grow. Like, how are you to know what that cash flow is going to look like when you have X, Y, and Z clients? how many staff are you meant to have, et cetera. That's really hard stuff and challenging stuff that you simply sometimes don't have time for. So I think I've now got an amazing team where they'll go to me, okay, you're, you're up this month. This is what the sort of um, cash flow forecast is looking like. You have the ability to hire. Are you in a position to? Um, and that's sort of how we workshop now. We do meetings all the time. We do an AR, so accounts receivable meeting every Monday. I'm across every single thing that happens in the accounts, but we are very, very strict with that because – I feel like when you, the bigger you grow, I've now got sort of um, 10 to 12 staff that I now fund their livelihood. And if we don't make money or if I make one bad decision, that's their entire livelihood. And that's just something that I, I'm not in a position to make yeah. really heavy risk anymore. So that's funny as well. And you spoke about earlier on about you, you first made the first risk to, to start it. And then you had, you know, got a little cash in the bank, which feels good. You've, you've built a bit of a business now. You've got a bit of a buffer. It's almost harder to take that second risk, don't you think? Without question. I battle with this all the time at the moment. I always, 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 we've only just got our very own sort of um, office before we were in a co-working space and I we were in like a shoebox. I'm talking all of us stacked in. You could smell if one of them had been to the gym <laughs> that morning. It was good, but it was also we were so ready to get out of that office, yeah. but I was so scared because I had other staff now to think of and that to me, I'm like, what happens if a client like drops us and then I can't facilitate their wages? I don't have loads of like, you know, I don't have anyone to sort of fall back on. Uh, that's the hardest thing. I think that the the bigger you get, the risk becomes so much scarier because you've got other people now that you need to worry about, other stakeholders, other yeah, staff. It becomes more scary. And also you've got more of a name now. So before if I had a foul, like who cares? Oh, 24-year-old Grace failed, like. I would have just had a, had a bit of a, a breakdown three months and then <laughs> got back up. <laughs> but that, now, different. That's the hard thing about building something yourself and starting from a place where you didn't grow up with a lot of money. Because when you don't, when you're just starting, you don't give a fuck about anything. You'll risk anything. And then like you get to a certain level of success and it's still nowhere near. You're not, you know, you're not satisfied, but now there's something to lose. Yeah. Now it's like you're actually putting something that you care about on the line. And before when you're just chasing a dream. And that's why like, 
for everyone that's like just started, like you're in the best position. You have so much freedom. It's not, it's the least scary. Like just go after it with everything you got because there's, you, you're not risking going back a whole way and you're only going to regret not chasing that. Um, but I want to ask you, we'll start to wrap up a few kind of more personal questions. Um, don't worry, not personal, personal, but, uh, some more personal questions about kind of your experience along the journey. Um, and the first one I want to ask is obviously being in, in PR, it, it, it can be a bit of a wild industry. A lot of gossip gets thrown around and stuff. You have to develop a thick skin. Do you feel like that's something that you naturally had or you had to develop a bit of a thick skin over the years? I definitely feel it's not something that came naturally to me at all. I definitely feel I have the thickest skin at the moment, uh, purely down to just experience, but then also growing up experience as well. My parents separated when I was younger. So I feel that having, you know, separated parents also teaches you a level of sort of, I had to grow up a lot quicker than what I feel like my peers would have. So I feel like that gave me a thick skin, but definitely does not come naturally, but it's something that you have to without, without question in business. It's like, you know, I had a a friend say to me recently who had a business, oh, um, my competition's doing X, Y, and Z. I don't even look at our competition because it then will make me rattle and stress out. It's like if a client says to me, which we have had before, um, and I'm sure we'll continue to have, you're not good, you're not the right fit for my brand, blah, blah, blah. That's just like misalignment and that happens in business. But you certainly, it's really hard not to take it personally. And because I wear my heart on my sleeve, I work really hard in that business. I'm across everything. I do take it personally. And it's only until recently I've learned to go, that's nothing to do with us. We've done an amazing job. We've updated them every step of the way. I need to remove this. This is business. And I find that really hard. I don't know if it's being female or being young or what it is, but I take it very, I do take it personally. And that's what I grapple with. That's a big sort of pain point for me. Do you think it's like ego in some way as well? Like you, you feel like, cause you, you set such high standards for yourself that you, you don't ever want to feel like you couldn't deliver what you wanted to at the start. Definitely. I think that any sort of entrepreneur, there's always a level of uh, ego. I don't think that I'm ego driven. I definitely think it's, I want what's best for my team, the best reputation for my brand as an agency as well. But I, a lot of the time it's not me working on the account, it's the, my team. And so when they say you haven't delivered or you haven't done this, I feel like I'm the mother hen going, hang on a second, (laughs) come here. Like I don't want anyone to ever make my staff. I'm very loyal, very protective. And I don't want any of my staff to ever feel like they haven't done a good job when they work so hard and I know how hard they've worked and I watch them and I monitor everything that they do. And that's when I feel like that's where I take it personally. You, You mentioned before that you don't like going internal to, you know, dump some of the pressure off your shoulders. Um, with, do, you, do you try and protect your team from, from you know, negative feedback or ne- negative, you know, chatter that's going on around them like that? No, I'm very honest with that uh, from the outset. They'll hear me <laughs> probably listening to this going, no, you don't. Um, but I, I'm very vocal. I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. There's no secrets. I don't, when I have like issues internally in the staff, I don't ever relay it to other team members because I just feel like that is, you can never do that. That's when it all starts, the wheels fall off the cart. But with when clients um, are acting out, I will definitely say to the team who are working on that, this is what's happened. Let's all address it. How can we learn from this though as well? Did we not communicate effectively enough? And so I'll tell them everything or they'll hear me go like just a bit of a crazy freak out the back. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I definitely let them know. But if like I say, for example, a client isn't 
um, in a uh, in a position to pay their bills or something like that. I definitely don't disclose that sort yeah. of information. And I feel like that's what people mean when they say that <clears throat> being in business is lonely because it's like you can share all the fun times and 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 all that's awesome and every like you might be killing it now but i'm sure there were periods where you looked at cash flow and you thought oh it still happens it's, like, not, it's not the best it's like that's what people mean by business is lonely like there's so much weight on your shoulders that you can't really share with anyone else and i know you can go to your partner or your friends who may kind of get it but that's i feel like that getting used to being able to handle that pressure and that sort of burden on your mind that's the hardest part about being an entrepreneur. And if you can get used to that and accept that and then start to kind of in a weird, sick way, enjoy that because it's like whenever everything's going wrong, I think fuck my life right now, but that's, that's what it is. And that, that makes it fun. Um, what's your thoughts on, on, on that? It's still, when I say you're like, Oh, you're killing it. We're, certainly I have days where when, when like, say for example, super comes around and you haven't allocated X, Y, and Z and then you're like, holy fuck, holy <laughs> fuck, holy fuck. And then I sit there, I'm like, the other day I thought to myself, why am I doing this? It's so hard to run a business in Australia. The amount of tax that we have to pay. I was like, I'm done. I could, I could go away and get a job easily, I know. but I just, there's something in me. And sometimes I'm like, why was I born like this? I just, I love it. I thrive yeah, off yeah. it. I like to put myself in these really hard situations and then I come out on top and then when I'm in a position where things are all happy and sunshine and roses like they are now, I'm like, you forget about that. But that's why I try and really through that, like meditating and stuff like that, be really grateful because I think imagine if you even six months ago handled some of the situations that you deal with now, it's like water off a duck's back now. Nothing really phases me. Um, I, I just know how to navigate it. But then when it comes to like tax and things like that, that phases me because I have no idea what I'm doing. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, so we have to find an extra 250 grand. Uh, it's just, it's, yeah, (laughs) it is, but that's just how it is. And I feel like you just, I, one of the biggest things I have learned is just to go, it's all, it's all going to work out. Like it's never not worked out. And if it doesn't, we'll find a way and we may have to change things up, but there's just, you just have to roll with the punches. I just like, let it go. And we just always moving. (laughs) We just always moving, baby. I love what you said. It's like each time, like, and that's like so important about what you were saying. Like for like every time you get through a challenge or a tough period, it gets easier next time. And like you get the thicker skin and then your ability to handle this sort of pressure is easier and easier before things used to come up. I remember in the first year, like between that, like year one, like you don't even fucking realize that you're in business. It's just such a, (laughs) so like, and then like, but you get into like the second year and beyond and, and problems start coming up. I used to emotionally take on those problems so much more than I would now because now you're just like, oh, whatever, I'll just deal with that. But at the start, it's it's a real eye-opening experience because you realize oh, this is what business is. Why didn't someone tell me that it's all about solving problems yeah. and fighting fires? So the big moment for me to, um, I guess, I had to like kind of look myself in the mirror again and be like, now you really, you know what you chose. Do you still want to do it? And I'm like, I couldn't do anything else. Yeah. Like you said, oh, it'd be so easy for me to go get a job again. Do you think it would really be I, easy for you? No, no chance. Like <laughs> It's like it's you have to, I think, as a business owner, if you want to be the best in your game, which is what you and I both want, you have to you have to have a laser focus and nothing will stop you. It's like, do I really want this? Because you have times where it's like I could lose everything and I – 
would still want it. I would still want, I have this burning desire that I love what I do and I want to be the best and I don't know where it comes from or what it is. And I'm like, why are we born like this? (laughs) Because it would be so much easier if I uh, wasn't like that. But I think that, yeah, as I said, you just have to be so grateful when things are good because there's so many times where you're like, why? (laughs) No, a hundred percent. And another question, looking back at your entire life, what do you think has been the most significant turning point? Definitely think starting movement. I think without question, it is when I look back, I just think how it has gone so quickly. We're four and a half years in and I look at my team and it's only now that we're in our own office, something that I'm super proud of. Yeah. And just doing like, and still, I still have the same mindset that we had when we started. We don't spend beyond our means. We keep things back to basics. We do the basics really well. When I look at my team and see them thriving, when I have had Tamara who came in as an intern who is now thriving as an events manager and publicist, it just makes me feel I like get goosebumps speaking about it because I just feel so proud that I have had like an impact on their lives and I have been able to have some sort of change on their lives and I can't wait. And I hope that they stay with me forever, but the reality is they probably won't. And I just can't wait to see what legends and how much they're going to crush it. Like I want everyone who goes in and out of my business to be known as being the best in their game and they can go on and do whatever they want. That's what I look back and go, fuck, we, we've done a good job. Yeah, you know, and, and that's as long the good as, thing. As long as when someone, same, same with me, as long as someone, when they stop working with me or they leave, as long as they're in a better position and they're moving on to something better than where they were before, I feel like you've done your job as, as, as an employer. You know what I mean? If you can develop that, even you don't have to be an imperf- uh, the perfect uh, boss, because we all know how difficult that can be. But if you're leaving people in a better place than where you found them, I think you're doing something right. Um, but where's, what's next? What can people expect to see from you, from movement coming for like moving forward? Yeah. Well, we have, we have so many amazing clients that are just about to start. So our biggest period is spring and summer because we do lots of alcohol related brands. It's the prime time for activations, which is brilliant. Uh, and the team have just come into their own, like they are next level. And I feel like just stay tuned. We've got, yeah, yeah, I feel like we're just, we're starting to hit our optimum. Like, you know, when you just hit that groove, I can feel it. And it's, it's finally nice. I've been pushing and pushing and just treading water for so long. I feel like we've finally got the the wheels turning. So I feel like, yeah, there's just so much to look out for. So and what do you do to, to find you? I know like at, at certain points you, you didn't have the capacity to take on your clients, but in terms of like growing the business, obviously to do that, you're going to want to have more clients to spend more money moving forward. How do you find, is it all word of mouth? Do you have like a salesperson? Is there a plan to have a business development person in house one day? How do you actually grow the business of a PR agency? Yeah, it's definitely with us, it's word of mouth. And that's why we are so, anyone who comes in the doors, we have the the biggest thing is we're only as good as our last client or our last sort of activation or last sort of press-based pitch or campaign. And so that's where we've generated that momentum. I definitely think TikTok. I am so cringe on TikTok and go down and just be so raw and honest. I call it tickety-tock. That's the millennial <laughs> in me. <laughs> and I think that that's a really big um, sort of push for us is like showcasing that and showcasing the behind the scenes of an agency because there's so many agencies that have started that are these corporate-led agencies or funded by sort of large-scale brands. Um, that they want to see a small agency doing really well and actually have a boss that has their hands across the actual clients, not just being seen as the big dog. Um, so definitely that. But then also in regards to to finding new clients, yeah, word of mouth without question. 
Um, but then in regards to that growth base piece as well, we don't go out and proactively outreach for clients. It's all they come into us. But the the hardest thing as well is that because I haven't come from a corporate PR background, publicity driven, large scale brands are often scared to work with agencies like us because we are seen as that really agile, fast paced, different agency. They want different, but they're scared to take that sort of step. So that's been like a bit of a pain but point. But with that stuff, it's just like anything else, you get one big one like that and then they'll all feel comfortable. It's just about building the trust enough to get the first one in and then everyone else is going to feel so much more comfortable to put the trust in in um, in you guys, in like that band of like people that do things differently. They have fun. They do it their own way. But obviously that's what drives results as well. So it'd be interesting to see um, what the future holds. I'll definitely be watching now. Last question. It's going to put you on the spot here. It's a big one. It's, it's really deep. I know it's going to be a tough for you to decide, but what is your favorite shapes flavor? Oh, definitely um, cheese and bacon. Cheese and bacon. Like with that question. So I eat shapes every single breakfast. Yeah. Cause they're, they're all, all, all over your office, right? Yeah. Well, we used to do their TikTok. So we grew their TikTok and we got all, sent all these shapes. So I still eat them for breakfast. I'm pretty sure day. you had them at whatever that restaurant was. You're like, hey, did anyone want some shapes? Yeah. Sorry, that's so embarrassing. I've always been obsessed with them though, so they were like a dream oh. client. But, yeah, definitely. What's yours? Has to be pizza, but I feel like that's boring. Like everyone's yeah. like, what do you reckon? Flavor, flavor, shape. You don't eat shapes? Do you eat shapes? Chicken crimpies, yeah, they are the good. orange. They're but do you good. do the outside the little... and then eat it? Oh, yeah. that's an ick to me. No that's an ick to me. Like I used to do that as a child. If, if I see an adult <laughs> doing that, I'm like, what are you doing with your life? Um, but where, where, where's the best place that, um, everyone can find you in movement if they want to find out more information, see what you guys are all about. Uh, definitely on our Instagram. So it's movement, M-V-M-N-T underscore agency. Uh, yes, I know it's a mouthful. Every time I have to say my email address now, I'm like M for Marie, V for Victor. <laughs> That's the rookie year of being 20, uh, 24 when you start your business. Um, but yeah, it's pronounced movement agency, but M-V-M-N-T. So remove the vowels. Yeah. Cause I'm pretty cool like that. <laughs> I don't know That's why. Just, yeah. And um, <laughs> Disco Stick as well. Yes. That's just what, well, at Disco Stick. Yes. We'll put all the links. Got and, no boundaries, um, yes. No boundaries, again, for any small business thinking about, you know, starting to use uh, PR, educate yourself. There's off the shelf, like you said, pay as you go stuff there. Really, really cool resource. So, uh, Grace, thanks for coming on. Enjoy your weekend. You're Thank there. You. You've made it. You can hopefully switch the emails off a little bit and, yeah. and relax <laughs> before I'm sure what will be another big week moving into peak season soon. So. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. I haven't kicked your shins. You haven't since the start. I know, only two times. She stopped. Maybe all I should do, do one is, now. Third all you got to do is call them out and they, uh, <laughs> and they start choking. But I'm um, done. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or you got something out of it, do yourself a favor, do me a favor, do your friends a favor and share this with them and they can come along on this journey with us. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.